Well, that brought in this side. We um, are still talking about the covenant of grace, and what I want to do is look at this third section again because this is really the part that says the most to us that we need to cover. And then I want to talk about a few things. And I'm going to read through some stuff that demonstrates sort of a point of view about the covenant of grace and how it, uh, at least one view of how it's seen in Scripture. And it'll open up the opportunity to talk about another view. But um, I thought it was important that you see this because, as I mentioned last time we talked, um, to me, one of the greatest things about the idea of covenants, especially the covenant of grace, is just the the unity that it gives to Scripture. To see that God has had a purpose and a plan, and it's and it's being fulfilled, and it has always been being fulfilled. Like it didn't just start being fulfilled when Christ showed up; it has been being fulfilled. And of course, that's the ultimate fulfillment. And um, I just love seeing that um, unity. You know that, man, since the fall, God has been taking us somewhere and we're there and we're going to continue going. And uh, so I confessed that I'm still um, studying this and trying to to grasp all of it um, along with you. But I do love that. I do love the idea, and it is important. I think I think grasping that there's this um, thread, if you would, that goes through the Bible that, that just strings it all together, and um, I think that's beautiful. <clears throat> and again, that does kind of separate us from, as Reformed Baptists, from what they would call themselves as traditional Baptists, because things are a little more choppy in that view for the most part instead of strung together but uh, you know I'm, I'm not I don't want to put words in other people's mouths but I, that's where I used to be I used to think there's all this stuff in the Bible be nice if it all fit together somehow you know but <clears throat> and now I see it does so but this section 3 again in the uh, chapter on covenant of grace says this covenant is revealed in the gospel covenant of grace it was revealed first of all to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of a woman after that it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament this covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the father and the son concerning the redemption of the elect only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms in which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. <clears throat> so basically it's telling us, I know the first meeting Jonathan had with uh, with you all, he talked about the covenant of works, and you all discussed that. Since the covenant of works with Adam, uh, since then God has been dealing with us by grace. I mean, since Genesis 3.15... I mean, that is the covenant of grace from there to, to now. I mean, it's what it is. And so that's the beautiful picture. 
Now, how some of that fits together through there is where the, um, I don't want to say, well, I guess it's right to say some of the disagreement lies from how we get to from Genesis to Revelation and uh, especially chapter 21. But really from, from uh, how we get from, from Genesis 3 to um, the New Covenant is really where a lot of the discussion lies. But we'll talk about that some later. One of the things that I want you to see here, it, it points out, this idea that this covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. And something that Jonathan pointed out to me last week that I, I hadn't thought through, but I think this is a good thing for us to think through. And that is question number 69 of our catechism says, what is the covenant of grace? And then it answers, really giving us the answer to the covenant of redemption. Because it says the covenant of grace is an eternal agreement within the Trinity to save certain persons called the elect and to provide all their means for salvation. The reality is, and, and our, our uh, confession says this, the covenant of grace, and I, I think I'm right in saying this, this is the way I, I get it in my mind, the covenant of grace is the covenant of redemption fleshed out for us. So the covenant of redemption has been since eternity. Somewhere in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made a covenant to save His people. And that's why we believe in election, by the way, in predestination. Because this plan that just unfolded in Genesis chapter 3, this has been the plan of God for all eternity, somewhere in eternity past. And because of that covenant, I guess, I guess it's correct to say we see the covenant of redemption through the covenant of grace. We see it come out. I mean, it's how God reveals it to us. So God has this plan, I will save my people. Starting in Genesis 3, we see that. And all the covenants are pointing us to God saving His people. And in the new covenant, whether you believe it's the fulfillment of all of them, or it's a brand new covenant, we see where God has been fleshing out for us through, through the covenant of grace based on the covenant of redemption. We see it in Jesus Christ, its ultimate fulfillment. We see the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I haven't thought about this before, but you can tell, I mean, another word is logos, and it means the reason behind who God is, everything that God is, the Word, Jesus is the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But you could say everything that God has given to us since from Genesis till Jesus came, that's what became flesh. I mean, it is everything that God is and who He is and His whole purpose. That's why the Bible says all the yeses of God are in, are in Jesus because He is the answer to all that. And so, I think it's important to realize that um, not that our confession, I mean, our, our catechism teaching is necessarily wrong. It's not wrong, but it it does have a, a little the covenant of grace is the covenant of redemption worked out but they're two different things and so just so you got that kind of combines them together yeah it kind of combines them together um any questions about that does that make sense have, has, have y'all talked about the covenant of redemption already 
Has anybody heard maybe, that? Maybe, maybe passing references, but not like okay. full-blown teaching on it now. And again, I know we said this about the covenant of grace, and let me say it about the covenant of redemption. It's like the Trinity. You can't open the Bible, or you can't say, show me that passage where God talks about the covenant of redemption. But we think that it's all through Scripture. Because He did make a, a, a covenant within the, within the Godhead to save certain persons called the elect. And He does that. And, and the way He does that is through Jesus Christ. So, it's all through the Bible, and, and, and we see the covenant of grace. What would be the difference between uh, the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption? I'm going to try to do this. You might can do it better than me. But I think the covenant of redemption is between the Trinity. is a, a covenant made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The covenant of grace brings man into the covenant because it is by grace that God is saving his people. And I think that that's, it brings us into it, but we're still not, uh, we don't work to keep it or earn it. We're in the covenant because of God and because of grace is the best way I understand it. But So, I, and I agree with that, but to kind of flesh that is, out a little bit more. But is, is it not the, you know, the fact that, uh, uh, that grace uh, has been given uh, makes it such that uh, that is our salvation. So we are we we are saved by the covenant of grace. Yes. Um, here's the distinction. So you have this eternal covenant within the Godhead. So that's the parties: the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, in this covenant, you have um, the Father. Or let me say it a different way. The covenant condition is placed upon the Son. Okay, you have the Father is the one imposing, if you want to say it that way. I don't think that's really the right word because it's not like he's forcing the Son to do it. So maybe that's not the right word. But anyway, you have the Father that's giving the conditions and the sanctions and things like that, that um, to the Son. So in the covenant of redemption, the Son is given a certain mission. And the mission is ultimately is to accomplish redemption for the elect, right? So Jesus comes and keeps that covenant. He completes, or he says in his high priestly prayer, which is, that's what I was actually looking for. Um, but he says in here 17. that, yes, yeah, 17. Um, actually, <laughs> let me just find it and I'll read it for you. Yeah, so he says, um, I, uh, this is Christ praying to the Father. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Okay, the work was given to him to do yeah, in right. the covenant exactly. of redemption. Right. Yeah. Um, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, showing this is an eternal thing, right? Right. Um, can, can you tell me what... Uh, that is John chapter 17, 17. verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> um, and if... I don't change my manuscript. I'll repeat this Sunday. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, the, but anyway, the point the point being that's the covenant of redemption. Some people prefer counsel of redemption because they don't think that it's a formal covenant. Either way, it's separate but connected at the same time to the covenant of grace. So that's the eternal covenant within the Godhead. Then in the covenant of grace. What you have is Christ's obedience 
in the covenant of redemption because he accomplished all that the Father gave him to do. Okay, in the covenant of grace, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to the elect. And, of course, our sin is punished in Christ um, because he's just and the justifier. Um, but the reason we call it covenant. First Corinthians five. Do I know? First Corinthians five. Then, or no, well, Second no, Corinthians. 5. Well, I, I was thinking about Romans three, but that actually still applies. So you're still yeah, right. right. Um, so, but the idea is that um, Christ's obedience is in the framework of the covenant of redemption. Okay. In so doing, though, he fulfills the covenant of works as well, because he's man, right? So, whereas he's the second Adam, first Adam failed. Second Adam keeps the covenant of works. Then his seed is imputed with his righteousness, just as Adam's seed is imputed with his sin. Um, So, in the covenant of grace, we have Christ's uh, obedience, both in terms of covenant of redemption, that's pertaining to the Trinity, Covenant of works, that's pertaining between God and man. So you have his deity and his humanity involved here. You have uh, his obedience in both of those covenants imputed. And that's where the grace factor comes in. Because the ones who receive the benefits in the covenant of grace don't earn it. He did. I understand. So that's the distinction. That's why we were saying, too, is you can see why it's easily... um, I guess conflated is the right word. You, it almost sounds like the same thing, but but it but it is true that it's because of the covenant of redemption that there's a covenant of grace. I mean, I think it, I think it, I don't think it would be wrong to say it necessitates a covenant of grace because somehow the redemption has to be. Well, I like to me. I like the way that you put it. Cause the way that I've always tried to describe it is. The covenant of grace is the historical outworking of the eternal covenant of redemption. So that's where it actually plays out. Yeah. Well, that's that's what is confusing to me uh, because basically the situation it sounds like it's uh, one and the same. Yeah, they're very they're very interrelated, but they are distinguished. Yeah, that's kind of one of those things um, that I think it's great. This is these are, these are great exercises to think through, but um, and try to work it out in your brain. But you know, I don't. It, it don't need to bring discomfort. Right. <laughs> it needs to bring comfort. And, and if you know, sometimes you're just like, I, I know it's all it's all there. It's you know, it obviously it's worked. It's you know, this is the way God's worked it out. If there was there was a there's some kind of uh, agreement within the Trinity to work to, to make this happen, and, and he's right. made it happen. Then, then you've got the, the passages, and you've referred to some of them already, and that is that uh, basically uh, uh, all that the Father hath given me. Yeah. All right, basically the situation is that uh, he's come to redeem That's right. uh, an elect, but basically the situation is that uh, he's personally handed them off yeah. uh, to Christ to uh, literally work out the salvation, and so right. it's a. Uh, 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 I mean, it literally is. Uh, 
it probably was an agreement between all of the uh, members of the Godhead, but basically uh, what he uh, specifically says is the Father has given uh, those to That's right. Christ, and so the situation is that uh, uh, it's uh, it makes it makes it actually more personal and more uh, uh, secure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know if that's what you were looking for. No, but no, for me, you're right. It says none, nobody's going to take them out of my hands. Yeah, I've never lost one that you've given me. Right. And, and to me, again, this idea of covenant is one of the biggest um, shots in that would destroy the thought of losing yourself. How can you argue that you could lose something that's been in planned out in the Godhead for all eternity? And again, I think this is one another reason why understanding, trying to understand the covenant and, and seeing how God is doing has had this plan, or it's really not a plan, it's a covenant for all eternity, is even more assuring that, God, if I believe this, then I have to be saved and it has nothing to do with me and there's no way I can get rid of it. How could I lose it? What you've got to always take into consideration though is the uh, uh, parable of the sower and the seeds. Uh, And so the situation is that uh, all that uh, touts to be uh, uh, secure and safe, uh, uh, there's been so many places so many things that uh, you know when it says in uh, I believe it's in Peter uh, when it says that uh, uh, basically what you need to do is constantly uh, check on uh, make sure that of your salvation right uh, and so the situation is that uh, uh, there's so many of these guys that have literally, just led everybody, but then all of a sudden they just uh, turn up uh, void. Uh, and so the situation is that uh, you know it's 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 automatic as far as the initial uh, uh, conviction. But basically the situation is that. Uh, uh, you, you constantly have to not work out your salvation, not work for your salvation, but basically you need to check and make sure that that you still are uh, a part of that elect. Uh, and so, you know, the situation is that uh, that's uh, when you start taking a look at the modern examples of the people that you thought were absolute uh, uh, in like Flynn, uh, and basically they walk away. Uh, so this might help to help with this distinction we're trying to make. So I'm not trying to. No, you're good because that we need to bring this out if this is confusing. So I'm glad you brought it up. The previous section. So we we read three, right? And the last time we were together, though, we looked at section 2. And section 2 is specifically on the covenant of grace itself. So maybe helpful to look back at that. Um, 
in that, it defines it this way. In this covenant, that is the covenant of grace, he, that being the Father, freely offers to sinners. So you see that this covenant is between God and man. Uh, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith in him. So there's the condition yeah, there is faith. Yeah, talking. That they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. So you have the condition is faith, right. but then you also right. have the condition right. Right. met. Yeah, but the thing is that, uh, <laughs> that our, our salvation and our security uh, is basically because he is faithful and is yes. going to keep us. Uh, and yes. basically that's what Christ was saying was that I, I will not lose any. Right. That, uh, Absolutely. I'm sorry. But there is that command over and over in Scripture to... Uh, make your calling election sure, and I think it is the um, the things that we're doing right here. Yeah, because it is, it is. It, and I don't I don't mean to, to uh, make it sound like that uh, it, it's more tenuous, but basically our whole salvation is based on Him keeping us. In other words, we can't we can't grab a hold of Him. He's got to grab a hold of us. Oh yeah, most definitely. Well, and even what it said here, he, right. he supplies the faith. Right. That's right. But then, okay, so that was in section two. So that's the covenant of grace. Then in section three, it says this covenant, talking about the covenant of grace, is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed first of all to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman, which is what he was talking about starting in Genesis. Right. That, that's where it's first right. revealed. After that, it was revealed step by step. So each right. covenant exactly. builds upon the exactly. last covenant exactly. until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament, or you would say the New Covenant. Right. Um, this covenant, the New Covenant, or the covenant of grace, this covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction. And there's how you see now they have the okay. covenant of redemption and the covenant that. of grace are related to each other that way. The covenant of grace is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son, I would also argue in the Spirit, concerning the redemption of the elect. And then it goes on to talk about only through the covenant, uh, the grace of this covenant, back talking now about the covenant of grace, um, have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. So that's basically saying uh, anybody who goes to heaven from Adam to the last person that's born, it's by virtue of the covenant of grace. It is all that's trying to say. So, did that help? Yeah, that, that's fine. Okay. That, that really did. That was good. Okay. Here goes a, again, we don't want to. We don't want to be confusing. We want to be helpful. But I think it's good to think through these things because, it, to me, it just keeps giving more a more a more full understanding of how we're saved, why we're saved, and why we'll stay saved. And instead of just, you know, uh, some instead silly little quip. Yeah, or just some silly little, you know, uh, uh, saying, you understand more and more. That's why I was saying earlier, the, the thought of losing salvation, you, you, you don't understand at all how it occurred to begin with. How, you, how it even came about. Because if you do, you understand that a real believer cannot be lost again. Now, yeah, there's all kinds of callings to us 
and admonitions for us to make our calling election sure. To you will you will see God, or you will uh, if you will uh, your faith will remain, or you you'll be saved basically if you stay true to the end, or if you um, yeah, do these things. Right. But and again, I don't think you know a lot of people take those passages and say, "Oh, see there, the Bible says if you do this, if you stay." But again, I think uh, but Scripture and, and Paul especially was saying, "Hey, like you said, I've seen a lot of people that thought this and thought that." And and John would say there were a lot of that were with us, but they left us because they were never of us. And so, I think that should be a warning for us. I don't think it should be a. It should never cause us to doubt. But I think it should cause us to hunger more and more to gather with the people of God, to worship, to study, so that our calling and election are continually made sure by the Spirit of God in our hearts and minds so that we continually come to the point of realizing, man, if I'm, if I'm saved, it's got to be of God. If he's, going, if he's keeping me, it's got to be Him. And so we keep depending. And then you find this out, you say, well, look, God, this didn't just happen. Ten years ago, when I repented of my sin, this is this is something God's been doing for all eternity. And to me, that, like you said, that makes it more personal. But it, to me, it's just overwhelming to think about that. How many years uh, this world has been in existence? Even prior to that, somewhere back in some in, in eternity, somewhere long ago, God decided to save me. And so, no wonder Paul would say, I don't boast in anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How could we? Right. How could? And, and this is what bothers me so much when people will say something like, or I read something about, well, you Catholics are just, you're so arrogant. Man, what, 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 may, what do you think you did for God to choose you? Nothing. I mean, that's just it. If you understand that, you realize, I have no, I have no grounds to be boasting. Or to be arrogant, and, none. You know, uh, as far as my testimony is concerned, the uh, the situation is that uh, you know uh, I just all of a sudden came to the conviction that basically uh, I was the head of the senior department in the MYF. I was head of the I was a program chair. Uh, so basically, I was writing the. Uh, the scripts and everything else, uh, but then all of a sudden, uh, the Lord just convicted me that uh, uh, that you know I kept saying there's there's got to be something more, uh, and so what happened was that <laughs> I wrote the program up and then I never gave it because I mean I was terrified of giving it, but basically what I did is I handed it. To the uh, my counselors, uh, and what they did is they took a look at it and they they shrugged their shoulders. They said, "We can't help you." Uh, and so uh, I went off to Georgia Tech, uh, just absolutely uh, not not knowing uh, what I was going to do. And then the uh, situation is that uh, then I heard the gospel for the first time, but the beauty of it is that I was so convicted that basically what happened was I was not going to fall for 
the standard line of, you know, the, the situation is that uh, uh, I, I was not going to I was, I was not going to, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to profess something that wasn't true. And right. so what happened was that I was looking for uh, some kind of assurance. And so the situation is, because, you know, I, I felt like that I'd already traveled that road long enough uh, of uh, saying <coughs> that I was when basically I had no idea. Uh, and so what happened was that uh, the neatest thing that happened to me was the fact that uh, after praying that prayer uh, with Camps Crusade for Christ uh, that first night, uh, basically the situation is that it was six months later. I kept going to meetings. I kept praying the prayers. I kept, you know, and, you know, I got admonitions of, you know, you got to have the... The train uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, it, the, the caboose is the emotions, uh, the, the engine is the belief, uh, and I kept, you know, I, I didn't take that at all. Uh, basically, as far as I was concerned, uh, if I was not going to say that I was a believer, uh, if I didn't know it for sure, uh, and so the situation is that... Uh, I kept going to meetings and praying prayers and going to meetings and praying prayers. Uh, and basically what happened was that uh, six months later, uh, the Lord just, uh, we were at a conference uh, down here south of Atlanta uh, at, a, at a campground. Uh, and uh, I went to, uh, I went to the, the conference and basically all during the conference, I just burned. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, still, I did not, uh, I did not have any assurance. And so what happened was that uh, uh, Dave Simmons uh, was the, one of the guys that I had listened to. And basically, he had a line that uh, uh, I used uh, when, but what happened was that I went to that conference and I kept thinking every night it was going to be tonight, it was going to be tonight, it was going to be tonight. And at the end of it, uh, they had a chapel service. I went to the chapel service and basically the situation is I thought, this has got to be it. This is it. And But I went to the chapel service, walked out of there, just absolutely. Uh, it didn't happen and so then what I did is I walked out into the woods about five minutes and basically I just stopped and I repeated uh, something that Dave Simmons had said I said God if you're up there I want you more than anything else on the face of this earth and basically I meant it and it was amazing his spirit witnessed from my spirit it was just wow I knew it was over uh, and so the situation is that, uh, but that was the neatest thing is that that the Lord did not give me uh, uh, any kind of assurance uh, before that because basically what happened is I had to want it 
so bad that it was uh, not up for grabs. Uh, and basically, uh, that's that's never. Uh, I have had the benefit of that, but what that also did is it set me on the course to come to a church like this uh, because basically I knew that it wasn't me, it wasn't a prayer, it wasn't uh, walking down the aisle, it wasn't anything. Uh, basically what happened is that I knew that uh, it couldn't happen that way, that it had to be the Lord literally worked it. And so I was very, very fortunate uh, in that uh, uh, I didn't have to guess. <laughs> awesome. That's right. Good. Hey, uh, here's a couple of verses about exactly what we've just been talking about. 2 Timothy 1, 9, which says, God, who saved us, and there's some, there's some before that, so you need to read 8 too, but God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So there's that, uh, that thought that right. this is taking place before the ages began. And he gave it to us in Christ before the ages began, which is awesome. Uh, Titus 1, uh, 2 is another a place. Um, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. But then at the proper time, manifesting his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. There's just a lot of stuff in there. To passages like these that remind us of this idea point, and highlight this idea that this has been God's plan for all eternity. Right. And... Um, you can't mess it up, <laughs> so, and that's the other thing. We don't we don't live to please God in hopes that He will look down and say, "That's good. I appreciate you doing that." We live. We're free to live the way He's called us to live. It's different. It's different than being in bondage to some something that's not free. It, it, it's kind of almost odd to try to explain. We're in bondage to Christ, but free to live. For him in that bondage, and it's not a bondage like we were in bondage to the world. We were in, we were enslaved to sin and unrighteous uh, sin and unrighteousness, but now we're made slaves to righteousness. We have the freedom to live what he's called us to live and how he's called us to live. And we still mess that up, but uh, it, it's a glorious thing, you know. What else? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make this. It's okay. I'm not going to start on this other road. I was going to start on because that might. It's already like hands healed. Anything else you want? Any other of those verses that we, that we can look at there? Hebrews 13 20. Okay. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Yeah, the everlasting covenant, mm-hmm. which don't mean it's going to last from here to then. It means it's already lasted from everlasting to everlasting. Hebrews thirteen twenty. And may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant.
his eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.11 Eternal purpose. In hope of the eternal life promised before the world began. That's Titus 1.2. That's what you just read. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's the same one you said. Grace given in Jesus Christ before the world began. Oh, yeah. Well, this idea, which we didn't really talk a lot about yet tonight, but that Jonathan mentioned where the the covenant of grace is revealed to us in Genesis and, and, it, and it builds and builds and builds. And Jesus himself, uh, speaking of Abraham, in John 8 said, Your father, talking to Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and was glad. So even, you know, just that thought that that's running through the scripture and it, it was going somewhere. And, and of course, Jesus came and put all that together for us. I mean, and, uh, it just all makes sense now when you go back and see. And it, it, it's, the, it's the thing, it's the big difference, again, between uh, us and a, a lot of different people, but it's also the big difference between uh our understanding of Scripture and a dispensational view of Scripture. I, I took this quote from, from uh, Sam Walker and I thought it was good. Instead of distinct dispensations with different peoples at different and different tests, there is one progressively revealed purpose of redemption and one progressively revealed people of redemption. And that kind of just... When you see Scripture in that light, man, it just... I don't know. It, it just so makes everything so much clearer. You know? And you can confidently take this and go, no, this is not two different gods. It's not two different ways of seeing things. This is one purpose of God that is, has been fulfilled with Jesus Christ. And um, that part it, it, it is uh, one beautiful, one of many beautiful things of covenant theology. Anybody want to say anything else or add anything? We'd like, we'd like for everybody to provide a, um, a five-page, five-paragraph <laughs> essay on uh, covenant theology by next Wednesday, if you could. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's praise and we'll dismiss. Thank you, sir. Father, again, we thank you for your word, and uh, I thank you for this beautiful uh, covenant that you've given to us. I thank you for the way you've provided not only our salvation, but all the means of our salvation and guaranteed um, our eternal life, guaranteed uh, our redemption, and we praise you for that. And we do recognize we have nothing to boast about except Jesus Christ. And so we want to do that the best way we can. So continue, continually keep him on our lips and in our minds and our hearts. God, uh, continue to strengthen our faith and our trust in you. And continue to give us a love for your word and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.